Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Hi there. I am Carol the Coach, and that is, you know, the million-dollar question. Do you want to change? Now, if you love somebody who's a sex addict, you may be on the show trying to get him or her help and to educate yourself. And if you're a sex addict, whether you're in a relationship or not, you may be tuning in because it is time to change your life. And I so get that. I mean, that is what addiction is all about. You have to hit kind of a rock bottom. And if you're one of the lucky ones that doesn't have to hit a rock bottom, well, good for you. But most people have to be exposed, discovered. They have to have some sort of crisis to jog them out of that repetitive pattern where they continue to do things that they hate, they loathe, they don't want to do, and yet they continue to do it. Why? Because it's an addiction. Why? Because they started out very innocently, dabbling in some behaviors that may not have been healthy for them, and before they knew it, It was compulsive, it was obsessive, and it continued and got worse and worse and worse and escalated on and on and on. Does that sound like you? I mean, have you wanted to stop? And you've made yourself many promises that you will stop. And then you couldn't, or you didn't, or you did the old, okay, I'll stop tomorrow, I'll stop next week, I'll stop next month. You set a date, and then you don't follow through with it. You're in a state of denial, and denial stands for don't even know that I am lying. You don't know that you're lying to yourself, and yet you do. 
you go, shoot, I have tried and tried and tried to stop. I've told myself a million times I would not do this anymore. You drive home after being with an escort or a prostitute, and you go, I hate myself. I don't want to do this to my family. I don't want to do it to my kids. I love my wife. Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm not sure I love my wife, but I definitely don't want to show up being this kind of person. And then you do it again. The anticipation of what is ahead for you is greater than the actual reality of what occurs. Your fantasy about what you hope will happen far exceeds what really happens in reality. And so again, I ask you, are you ready to change your life? Are you ready to make a difference? Now, here's what I know. I know you cannot do this by yourself. I don't care how strong you are. And I've had many a person contact me and say, hey, let's Skype, let's Zoom, let's phone coach. You know, I'll come in and see you. I'll fly to where you are, Carol. I need your help. I can tell you know what to do. And here's the bad news. You and I are not strong enough to make this change. You have to employ a variety of tools. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. You can't do it on your own, and I'm not enough to get you over the hump. Although I am a great consultant, and I recommend that if you are wanting some help, that you go to a website, sexhelp.com. You put in your zip code. You put in your country, and you find out What professional is closest to you? You know, I do. I I consult with people all over the world, and I'm always saying to them, I mean, I, I recently consulted with somebody from Stockholm, Sweden, and I said, hey, there are at least two, if not three, CSATs in your neck of the woods. You know, I don't mind being the consultant, but my job, if there are CSATs right there in your neighborhood, right there in your city, my job is to get you to them because face-to-face is always the best, and here's why. Sexual addiction is an intimacy disorder. I mean, you are having difficulty being close because you're not authentic and honest about what is going on in your life. And as a result... I'm more than happy to be your consultant. I'm more than happy to be your coach. However, I want you in a a meaningful relationship with a therapist who understands this condition. Because what you do in the therapy office, what you do in group therapy, what you do in residential treatment, what you do in intensive outpatient, What you practice there, you then apply out into the real world. And so I want you to have that experience. I want you to have that one-on-one. I want you to face somebody and look him or her straight in the eyes and let them know about your shame, your pain, and all the issues that you suffer from. That's pretty intense, isn't it? That I would want you to do it differently. Stop hiding, to stop avoiding, to stop minimizing, and to look somebody in the eye and say, oh, my gosh, 
I need to be real. I need to be authentic. I need to be transparent. I need to be different. And you know what? I know you can do it. I hope you can hear in my voice that I absolutely positively believe that you can do it. So here's what I also know to be true. You ready? I know that you are somebody that wants the help or you wouldn't be listening to the show. And I want to be that person to help you. I'm so happy that you're listening. Whether you're listening to me while you wash the dishes, mow the lawn, run, walk, head to work, or whether you're sitting at your computer right now listening to me, I want to help be the tipping factor for you so that you get the help that you deserve. I know all of the good books. I know most of the experts in the field. I know many good programs. You know, what I really believe to be true is that this is a field where there's a lot of compassion and there are professionals everywhere that want to be there for you. Now tonight, I'm going to be talking with Rick Eisenberg, who's an MD, and he works at PCS. And PCS is perhaps one of the oldest treatment centers for sexual addiction as well as other addictive behaviors. And they offer a six-day intensive outpatient program that I, I, you know, I said to Rick, hey, Rick, I want you to talk about this program it is a wonderful resource for people. Now, I'm not opposed to you doing 30, 40, 45, or 60 days in a treatment center. Usually, the longer the better. But for some people, they just can't take that time out. And so an intensive outpatient program, um, in this case, 55 hours of intensive work in a five-and-a-half-day program, will catapult you into recovery and will do some of the deep work through EMDR and psychodrama, somatic experiencing, art music therapy, equine therapy, brain mapping, neurobiofeedback, as well as all sorts of other techniques to do that deep processing work to help you with any abuse that might have occurred in your life, any trauma, any post-traumatic stress. This is a program that that is admired, you know, just everywhere. In terms of professions, anybody who works in the field of sexual addiction or partner trauma knows that PCS is one of the best. PCS stands for Psychological Counseling Services, and they are out in Arizona, and so I said, hey, Rick, will you come on the show and talk a little bit about how intensives can make a difference in your recovery, whether you're a sex addict or a partner? As well as I've got to tell you that Rick is a special friend of mine. Okay, I don't know him that well, but Rick helps to run AFAR. And that is the research organization that works um, specifically on raising money for addiction and sex addiction. 
And many of you know, if you go to my website, sexhelp.com, sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com, actually, you can buy the ebook Sexual Addiction, Wisdom from the Masters, which is a compilation of about 12 of the most important experts in this field. And every penny, other than what goes to ebook it or Amazon, goes to benefit AFAR. And that means that we're going to get more research done on sexual addiction. And if you have done any kind of studying about this issue, like I just had a couple that came in last week, and she was wondering if her husband just had bad behavior. Did he really have an addiction? Was she making up an excuse? Had they come to see me? And was I buying into an addiction when really it was just bad behavior? And I get that. Oh, I so get that. Um, I would say there's probably 30 to 40% of all population that feels that way. And I said to her, absolutely not, and here's why. And I gave her the 10 um, behavioral characteristics that show people really want to stop, but they can't. You know, they hate themselves as a result. They promise that they will, and they don't. Uh, It interferes with their life. It destroys their families. It affects their jobs. And they keep saying, I cannot keep doing this, but they do. And she said, you know, that's exactly what's going on in our lives. She said, but you know what? When I Googled you, there were also a couple of professionals that that came up that said sexual addiction was um, a ruse. It was not a real addiction. It was professionals trying to make money off of a disorder that didn't exist. And I happen to know who those professionals are. I happen to know who some of those organizations are. And unfortunately, they just don't have the information that they need yet. You know, we all experience people that have blinders on that see things a certain way. And both with alcoholism and drug addiction, there were a whole host of people that thought that's a moral issue. Those people just need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and go on with it. They can stop if they want. And they didn't realize the tools, the recovery tools that are needed to make a difference in their ability to recover. And what i got to tell you is I know you would not be listening to the show unless you had a certain level of desperation or a certain level of recovery. You know, people listen to the show that are in recovery and they want good information to fortify their recovery. So for that, I thank you. And if you're just listening for the first, second, or third time and you're wondering what is wrong with you, I'm here to tell you can get help, that we're going to be talking about programs tonight that will help, that there are recovery tools that if you implement those tools, when you work it, it works. But it does require diligence, and it requires some difficult work, and it requires fellowship. And 
And I know that that can seem like a daunting task, and yet what I promise you is when you invest in yourself and you break the chains of this intimacy disorder, when you get close to people, when you get honest, when you trust, you know, when you're willing to share who you are because you know you're not going to have judgment because these people are where you've been at or you're with professionals who totally get it, I promise you it will be an awakening for you. It will be the start of a journey and recovery that um, will make you a better person than you are today. So hang in there with me. Know that if you go back to the shows that um, I've done in the past, I've got over four years of shows, over 200 shows, um, where I have interviewed the absolute best experts in the field, you will learn so much about this disorder and so much about what you need to do. And you've heard me say it before. You operate based on what you think, how you feel, and what you know, what your gut tells you. And so when you listen to these shows, what you'll realize is, oh, yeah, I do need to read that book. Oh, yeah, I do need to contact that person. Oh, yeah, I may need that intensive outpatient program. So tonight, something that I typically don't do very frequently, I wanted to interview Rick Eisenberg because he is somebody who can describe this amazing treatment program that I personally refer to all the time, whether it be sex addicts or couples or partners, and people get better in a short amount of time. So Rick Eisenberg, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Thank you very much, Carol. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. I've been hearing about your show for a long time, and I really feel honored to have the opportunity to talk with you tonight. Well, and I already told people that although we don't know each other well, we have some common goals, whether that be to to increase donations to AFAR. And later on, I'm going to want you to talk a little bit about that organization and why it's so important to not only our listeners, but to the professionals that listen and, and to the world in general, as well as you happen to work for one of the best treatment centers in the world. So I remember in December, you sent around some information about the six-day intensive outpatient program in Scottsdale. Actually, I think it's five and a half days, right? Well, actually, it has been five and a half days, and we're actually in the process of extending it um, to include some additional work with some of our experts that will involve more of the inner child type work, healing, healing the the wounded inner child. That's a dimension we're adding to the program. So um, it will soon go to six and a half days. Fantastic. So now tell the listening audience, because they may never have heard of PCS, um, which of course stands for Psychological Counseling Services, explain a little bit about what type of treatment facility PCS is and what is it specialized in and what's its history. I'll be glad to. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm really very pleased and excited, and I feel honored as well to be working with um, PCS. It is really an outstanding program with an outstanding staff. Uh, PCS is in uh, Old Town, Scottsdale, Arizona, 
Uh, we're enjoying some very nice spring weather right now. Um, it was actually the very first intensive outpatient program founded over 40 years ago by Ralph Earl, who is still one of our uh, lead therapists. And the intention has always been working with people who are struggling with sexual addiction, uh, their partners, their families, and not just sexual addiction, but also other types of what we call process addictions, whether that's a uh, compulsive gambling problem, compulsive shopping or spending, compulsive eating, compulsive exercise. So many different things can become compulsive uh, like addictions. And we work with folks up and down that uh, that whole range of disorders. And of course, like um, uh, any other outpatient um, psychotherapy program, we also work with people who have depression and anxiety. One of the main focuses at PCS uh, is trauma. So we see a lot of people with post-traumatic stress disorder. So in founding the program some 40 or more years ago, uh, Ralph and the team had a, a really novel idea. The model at the time uh, was that you go see a therapist and you spend 45 or 50 minutes and say goodbye, and you come back a week later or maybe two weeks later, and you do the same thing. That can work very well for a lot of people. However, for people with long-term problems or really people who are in crisis, 45 minutes is not really enough, and it goes by very quickly. And then for the next uh, six and three-quarters days, you are busy trying to live your life uh, with all the problems that uh, have taken you to a therapist in the first place. So while it has been the standard to do a 45 or 50-minute hour on a weekly basis or so, um, the team at PCS came up with a different idea, and that was to make the program more intense, to pile on hour after hour of therapy so people get it in a much more intensive fashion. This was a very novel idea back in the 70s. It remains a novel idea. I don't believe there's another program in the country that does it like PCS does. When people come to us, they can expect in the space of that week to get over 55 hours of therapy. Now think about that. 55 hours in five or six days, these are very long days and very intensive. That's why we call them intensive. Um, and it can be absolutely transformative for people because what the difference is compared to a once a week therapy where you, you know, you focus and you work and you work and then the 45 minutes ends here, you walk out of one therapist's office down the hall into the next one. And by the time you get there, that new therapist has already read the electronic notes. The prior therapist has written. So there's continuity from one session to the next, to the next, to the next, and it gives you the opportunity to go really deep. And in the process, and this is one of the beauties of this intensive model, is that people set down their defenses. The resistance, the denial goes by the wayside. And it's kind of inevitable. It's hard when you're sitting there talking about yourself hour after hour. It's hard to maintain your defenses. So people do relax them. They put down their armor. They get real. And in the course of getting real, they get to do real work. So it is, it is really beautiful to watch. 
I'm fortunate. I get to be the welcoming committee. I see people when they first come in. Uh, as the medical director, I do a really a thorough integrative medicine evaluation. My focus is mind-body medicine. It dovetails very nicely with what the therapists are doing. I can point the therapist in directions that the patient's body is giving signals to um, because our body has a voice. And oftentimes when in our lives we don't have voices, our body has a voice and expresses things in terms of symptoms or ailments. That's what I look for. But I get to greet people when they walk in, and I get to see them at their worst. Um, They're fresh off the airplane, scared to death about what a week of therapy is going to look like, and a lot of them look pretty ragged. And life has turned them some pretty challenging turns. Um, they are struggling in their marriages. They're struggling in their work. They're struggling with their children. They're struggling with themselves, with their self-image. They're struggling with behaviors that they can't stop doing. Or maybe they're married to somebody who has behaviors they can't stop doing. They're in pretty rough shape. So I get to see them when they first walk in the door, and then I get to wave them goodbye at the end of the week, and the transformation is just amazing. I'm tempted to pull out a camera and take a picture of people when they first walk in and then when they walk out because the physical appearance of people is different. They look lighter. Um, I'm not a very tall guy. I barely scrape five foot six. So when I say to a man who's come in, it looks like you've grown six inches in the course of the week. I mean it. (laughs) I can see the difference. But it's really that he's standing taller and has really come out from under the weight of what brought him in, at least to a significant degree. So this is the, the kind of the magic of the program. And um, I hear about it all the time from the folks who come to see us, that sheer volume of therapy work, the communication between the therapists, the fact that each of the therapists has a different background and a bit of a different approach, brings different skill sets, enables a person to look at his problems or her problems from 30 different perspectives. We have 30 therapists on staff. So um, it, is, it really is a remarkable experience for people. So I, I'm really very proud to be part of that. Um, and I have, seen, I have seen people who um, walk in the door and they say, my marriage is over. I know it is. I've been trying to convince my spouse to keep trying, but I think it's too late. I've shot myself, I've shot my spouse in the foot too many times. This is just too awful. I know it's done. And when that person is going out the door, the message is more, I have hope. And I'm going to get my spouse in here. And when she's had a And that is the program, isn't it? That it does include spouses. I mean, you've got couples programs, you have programs for partners, and, I mean, they can come back over and over again if they need um, increasing specialization of treatment services. That's right. Uh, it's not uncommon for us, for instance, to see the addict for a week and then have the addict's partner come in for a week because, you know, it always takes two when there's a dysfunctional marriage, even though the addict is clearly very sick, inevitably there are issues that the partner brings to the marriage as well. 
the partner gets a chance to work on his or her problems for a week, and then they two come back together, and that's when it really is beautiful because you see, you know, you can see people who are um, starting to fall back in love. You see people who are willing and able to work out their issues, and they can do it because it's a safe place. Um, it's really wonderful to see. And part of the part of the magic too, Carol, I have to say, and this I know we really have no control over, and it gets me into a little bit of a spiritual place, is that we usually have six or eight people a week. And it always, always seems that the people who are there that week are the right people for those, for each other. It's the right mixture of people's histories, people's problems, people's stories, people's character, and almost always at the end of the week, the group that forms, and it tends to be both men and women. Um, we do mix that up. Um, the, almost invariably they're saying, I can't believe that you guys were in the same week as me. This has been marvelous. And people walk out having forged strong relationships. And as, as I know you know, part of health and recovery is being able to build those relationships and practice being vulnerable and practice being intimate. Well, absolutely. And so, Rick, obviously you told us about your height, but tell us a little bit about your specialization and what you do at PCS. Okay. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I bring more of a integrative general medicine background to the program. We do have a psychiatrist on staff, uh, my role is really more the mind-body type work. Uh, in addition to giving people a thorough medical evaluation when they come in, I spend an hour with people. You think about that. When was the last time you got to spend an hour with a doctor? It doesn't happen very often. Um, right. I, I do a thorough evaluation, and I'm looking to see, are there medical conditions here that might be contributing to your emotional problems or your relationship problems? Are there neglected medical conditions that really do need your attention that we need to draw focus on? And are there um, symptoms or ailments that are pointing toward underlying emotional problems that can be a gateway in for you, especially for people who are kind of defended um, a way in to do the work? I've got some, I've had some phenomenal experiences, Carol. I had two patients just in the last three months, and this is remarkable because it's an unusual disorder, um, who complain of um, foot pain. Now, there's foot pain and there's foot pain. These were two women who both of them came in wearing boots, you know, those plastic boots like the orthopedists give you after you've had surgery instead of a cast. Um, and I look and I say, what is wrong with you? What, what, why are you wearing this? What's the matter? And the response was, I've got sesamoiditis. Well, the first time I heard it, I had to go look it up because it's a very unusual condition. But there are two little, little bones about the size of BBs that are in your foot underneath your big toe joint. And heaven knows what they're left over from something in evolution. But they normally don't do anything. But when they get inflamed and you try and stand or put weight on your foot, it is excruciatingly painful. So when the first patient described this, 
I thought, wow, that's really that's really awful. Is it getting any better? No, it's getting worse despite everything the doctor's doing, and the silly boot isn't helping either. How long has it been there for? About eight months. Huh. Wait a second. Eight months. What did you tell me happened eight months ago? You discovered your husband's sex addiction. Huh. Wow, that's a coincidence. Now, if your foot had a voice, what do you think that pain is telling you? I can't stand it anymore. Instant response. Bingo, of course. She's been going through a horrific eight-month period dealing with the discovery of all the stuff her husband has been doing in his addiction. And sure, she can't stand it. And she hasn't been able to have her own voice, so her body has it for her. The second patient was almost exactly the same. Um, so it is, it's fascinating the way the body communicates. I've had people who, when I ask them to put words to their symptoms, oh, the pain I have in my shoulders is from carrying the weight of the world. Uh, the pain I have in my stomach, I'm just sick of all this. The, the, it's, it's metaphorical, but it's extremely meaningful. And when it gives people an opportunity not just to access the feelings that are fueling that pain because they certainly are connected, but it's also a barometer for them. So, you know, so how are you doing today? Oh, I, I'm not sure. It's hard for me to connect to my feelings. Well, how's your stomach? Oh, well, that's, it's doing better. So I guess I am doing better with all this, that kind of thing. It gives people additional language to use to talk about what they're struggling with. So that's the kind of work that I do. I, I look for this kind of thing. I work with people on that. I also do one other thing, Carol, which I think is, is fairly unique for this kind of um, a clinical environment. Um, when I interview people, I keep my ears perked up, listening for things that people might be doing that might be undercutting their brain function. I focus on what I call brain fitness. You know, we talk about heart health, and that means you have to exercise and you have to eat right. We don't give our brains quite the same consideration. And like any other organ, the brain can malfunction. And when it does, it sets up obstacles for us in terms of our mental sharpness, our judgment, our decision-making. So if we're doing things that are disabling our brains, we're not going to function very well. And especially if you're walking into a clinic like PCS and you really want help, you want your brain to be firing on all cylinders. So this is part of my job. I listen very carefully. And it's not uncommon to come across people who are not nourishing their brains well. So we look at nutrition. We look at sleep. Sleep is absolutely essential. We look at exercise. Look at a variety of bad habits. Some of the obvious ones, alcohol, marijuana, um, other types of recreational drugs. And I look at pharmaceuticals that people might be prescribed that have side effects that could be impairing brain function as well. And I walk people through some lifestyle changes to help enable their brains rather than disable their brains. So I do a lot of nutritional counseling. Um, and I do, well, I and, and it sounds like you do a good job of meeting that person where they're at and screening for 
a lot of different situations. You know, earlier you said that you've got to look at what might be feeding the addiction, and I'm wondering, you know, how important do you think it is to tackle the roots of addiction, you know, to look for mm. sexual trauma reenactment and, and family of origin wounds and, and things like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's essential. Um, the, we focus a great deal in the world of addiction on doing 12-step work, which is essential, very, very important for the addict and very important for family members of the addict, regardless of what the addiction is. And it tends, for some people it's enough, but it tends in a lot of people not to be enough. And when we see people come back and back and back and keep relapsing or never quite get to a place where they are comfortably sober, you have to ask the question, what is feeding this? Why does it keep reoccurring? People have the best of intentions. They're getting the best, of the best of help. How come they keep falling back into the behaviors? And what you say is quite true. Oftentimes, there is trauma underneath. We've really come to understand, especially when it comes to people who act out sexually, sex addiction, the, the likelihood that they themselves have been subjected to sexual abuse, particularly in childhood, is extraordinarily high, on the order of 70 to 80 percent, at least, of people who have sexual addiction have been themselves sexually abused. So going after that kind of trauma is really important. And it's not just sexual abuse, of course. There's physical abuse. There's emotional or psychological abuse. When you look at the overall population in the United States, your listeners may be surprised to know that addiction aside, when we look at just average Mr. and Mrs. Joe, 21% of people have been sexually abused. 28% of people have been physically abused in childhood. Extraordinary numbers that we don't talk about. So when we're looking to effectively treat the addiction, it's important to focus on that. People tend to think, well, that was... 40 years ago. I'm not a child anymore. I outgrew that. It's history. It's gone. It doesn't go away. For some people, they are able to work it through. Those are people who are in all likelihood gifted with supportive families, healthy environments. But for the majority of people whose home life is not quite so perfect, that trauma gets buried and comes out sideways later on in life and it's not at all uncommon for it to come out as addiction. So at PCS, one of the things that we really do focus on is helping people identify and deal with the trauma that they experience, that they remember from their childhood, whether it's verbal abuse, feeling unimportant, feeling neglected, being neglected physically, being neglected emotionally, or really abused in some fashion. We work hard to help people address those things. Well, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I know to be true is that people either have sexual addiction issues because they've developed bad habits that have become obsessive and compulsive, and as we all know, as things get more and more compulsive, then the addiction occurs and it gets worse and worse and worse. 
But there is a whole population that did have childhood wounds, that did have trauma as a kid, who perhaps fused their sexual experimentation at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 with a certain feeling. And then they medicated that feeling with the sexual activity, whether that was looking at more porn or experimenting with boys or, you know, experimenting, you know, with animals. It, it matters not what the issue is, but that sexual trauma reenactment continues. And so they, there's so much shame with that. And at a place like PCS, they're able to talk about what's going on in their lives without any kind of judgment. And they get the help they need to resolve the shame, the pain, the anger, and the sadness. They really get to go through that situation of grief. And I know you have specialists there. I mean, you've got some trauma specialists that have come up with the trauma egg, which is something I use every day. Uh, Patrick Carnes ascribes to it. Tell us a little bit about some of the people that have worked at PCS that have been pioneers in the field. Mm. Well, one of our pioneers, as you mentioned, the trauma aid, Marilyn Murray, um, she has an international reputation in the field of both uh, trauma treatment and family therapy. Uh, she was the very first one, actually, to employ a bit of this intensive program. She, unlike most therapists back in the 70s, was willing to take a whole day commit a whole day to one individual patient. That was the initial germ of the idea for PCS. And she's been affiliated with the organization ever since. Marilyn is a remarkable woman. Um, uh, I don't think she would be angry at me for saying she is in her 80s at this point and mm -hmm. is about as dynamic as one can imagine. She spends half the year in Moscow training therapists in Russia in the Murray method, which is an approach to uh, uh, trauma and inner trauma. child work. So the, the, um, the trauma egg, uh, the angel egg, which is the mm -hmm. flip side, that's about good things that happened to you in childhood, and the whole model of let's look at childhood from the perspective of there being an original child who was whole, happy, unique, then gets damaged by trauma and splits into a sobbing child and a angry, protective, defensive child. Um, this is a model that she's constructed that's very, very useful for people to understand what their life uh, has been like, why they've gotten to where they've gotten. At what point in my life was my sobbing child running the show? At what point in my life, my adult life, has my um, wounded, uh, my, uh, my protective, uh, angry adolescent child been running the show? So Marilyn has been a key part of our program. I, I mentioned Ralph Earl, who, was our, who is our founder. Um, he, uh, he practiced as a minister for a number of years before becoming a psychologist and specializing in sexual addiction, among other types of disorders. Uh, he's considered one of the real uh, experts, uh, one of the granddaddies in the field of sexual addiction. So we're really, really pleased to have him on board. Um, and we have a host of specialist therapists, as, as, you, as you mentioned, for trauma. We have specialists in 
EMDR and somatic experiencing um, and um, a whole range of a different a different kinds of um, special techniques. Well, yeah, for our listening audience who may not know, EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, and it is a way to bilaterally work with the brain in therapy to process traumatic events that have occurred to you sometimes without you even having to recall all the facts and details of the actual event. And it is a very efficient way of processing all that old stuff. And so obviously you use EMDR because it is, it's a wonderful technique. Now, let me ask you, because obviously you and I both know that sexual addiction is, an, is a disorder of the brain. Do you believe that it's a biological disorder? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I believe that biology drives behavior to a large degree. It's not the only thing that drives behavior. But when you have disrupted biology, when you have dysfunctional or disordered biology, you're likely to have disordered behavior. And what we're finding when it comes to sex addiction is, yes, there absolutely are chemical, biological things that we can identify that distinguish someone who's a sex addict versus someone who's not. Um, and we're really beginning to understand just how extraordinarily complicated the brain is and how unique the brains of people who have sexual addiction are. Um, we have some amazing techniques now. Um, functional MRI is a non-invasive imaging using um, a magnetic energy to take a look inside the brain. And we can look not just at the shape and structure of the brain and its, its various parts, but the way they function and how different parts of the brain communicate with each other, what the connections are between different parts of the brain. It's extraordinary. And to be able to map someone's brain from that perspective and see that there are characteristic things that are different in sex addicts is a extraordinary opportunity for us to understand the disorder better and ultimately, we hope, come up with better ways to treat it. Um, there's also work going on in genetics. And this is actually something that's quite topical, looking at the genetics of sex addiction. Um, I'm involved um, in a study with Patrick Carnes looking at that, and that's through AFAR, the American Foundation for Addiction Research. But when we think about it, um, is it possible that there is a genetic basis to sexual addiction? The answer, I believe, is yes. Wait and watch. We'll show you. The, what we know is that there is a genetic basis to alcoholism. That's kind of common sense. Alcoholism runs in families. But how? What, is actual, what are actually the genes that are involved? A lot of work has been done recently, and we're really beginning to appreciate that there are a classic set of genes that if you inherited them, you have a setup to become an alcoholic. Someday that may give us diagnostic tests that can be done on young people to say, yes, you are at super high risk. 
Look at your genes. It's right here. Just like we do now for breast cancer and other disorders, we can point to specific genes and warn people. Um, we're close to being able to do that for alcoholism, and I expect at some point we'll be able to do that for sexual addiction as well. Um, it amazed me when I started really studying this. There are certain genes that can help predict at what age you will first be sexual. Go figure. There are certain genes that can predict whether you will have multiple partners or not. Sexuality has a genetic basis. Sexual behavior has a genetic basis. So it should come as no surprise that aberrations in sexual behavior, disorders in sexual behavior like sex addiction, would also have a genetic basis. It's a very exciting time right now. The amount of knowledge about the biology It makes you wonder if that's a screening tool that someday we can use to better understand people as well as to identify what their issues are genetically so we can treat them in a different way. Absolutely, and I think it's within our lifetimes. And um, it's exciting to be part of the scientific work that's going on. Well, and, you know, I had already told our listing audience that AFAR, the American Foundation for Addiction Research, is an amazing organization that actually has a lot of these, they set up a lot of these studies and they they are are instrumental in getting them funded and that our listening audience can help AFAR um, in a variety of ways. Now, obviously, you know that I talk to our listening audience about buying the book Sexual Addiction Wisdom from the Masters because all the proceeds go to AFAR. It's a compilation of this radio show, and they can either buy the hard copy by going to my website, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, or they can buy the ebook by going to um, Amazon or going to ebook it, or even, I do believe, going to Gentle Path and AFAR. So how are some other ways that people might be able to donate to, to make a difference in this research? Mm, uh, thanks, Carol, and I really appreciate you moving in the discussion in that direction. And boy, do we appreciate what you've done in donating the proceeds of your book to AFAR. It really is a generous and very, very meaningful way of making your contribution. Um, the foundation is really uh, intended to work on several levels. The whole goal is to find lasting solutions to addiction. And the foundation approaches all addictions with the assumption that all addictions are so similar, we can view addiction as one disease with many faces. So we take a a very broad look at addiction. And our focus is on research, on education, and on advocacy as well. And the goal, our vision, is to have a world that really is free from addiction. And I do believe that that's possible. Um, The primary way that people can get involved at this point is through helping support the activities of the foundation financially. Uh, We do sponsor research projects. 
getting involved in those research projects would have to be through the actual center that's doing the research. Um, if any of your listeners are interested, uh, they can contact me through AFAR. Um, but aside from, aside from that, the, the key way is through uh, financial donations, and we'd be very appreciative. Um, the money that we raise is directed toward funding research projects like Dr. Carnes's genetic study, um, and there's a, a huge need for additional research in the area of sex addiction as well as other addictions. The foundation right now over these next uh, three years is focusing primarily on sexual addiction. So you can, uh, you can access information about AFAR through our website, which is www.addictionresearch.com. Pretty easy, one word, addictionresearch.com. And there you can find information about the foundation, about our various programs, and there's a wealth of information there too for people to educate themselves about addiction in general um, and sex addiction in, in specific. Uh, and it talks about our educational programs and some of our advocacy work as well. And you know, for our listening audience, we are a half a million open downloads a week. And so we have a bigger listening audience than a half a million, but a half a million people open what they they listen to every week. And so even if they were to donate 10 or $20, they'd be making a huge difference in terms of the future of addiction research. And truly, any of these kind of disorders and illnesses require research to show people exactly what is going on in the brains of addicts. So I highly recommend to our listening audience that, that they go to AFAR, A-F-A-R, and again, you said that it's the American Foundation for Addiction Research, and donate 10 or $20. I mean, they really can make a huge difference by doing that. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, Carol, and thank you for saying that. For those of our listeners who are involved in 12-step programs to one degree or another, you know the saying, we need to focus on the solution, not just the problem. And the opportunity here is for people to really be part of the solution. Our intention, our hope through AFAR is to produce a research that will generate perhaps screening tests, perhaps more importantly, new treatment approaches. And we hold out the hope that we will, through using the research, be able to convince the reimbursement authorities, our insurance companies and the like, to do a better job of providing coverage for people who have sexual addiction, um, shopping addiction, food addictions, etc. So there really is an opportunity in this, even if it's in a small way, $10, $20, absolutely can go a long way to help taking us toward that goal of really eradicating addiction from, from our world. Well, I so appreciate you coming on and talking about two very important institutions, one obviously being PCS, Psychological Counseling Services, and then also AFAR, the American Foundation for Addiction Research, because 
what we all know to be true is if you get involved, if you work things, it does really work. And sexual addiction is a disorder of the brain, and we have to be able to research the brain better to understand how we can aid anybody, both in treatment and also medically, to um, deal with the compulsivity that occurs with this kind of addiction. So as we end the show for tonight, Rick, is there anything else that you would like to impart to our listening audience to perhaps motivate, inspire, or give them some strength, hope, and recovery? I think, Carol, the most important message, and this I try to convey to my patients as well, is that there is hope. There is hope. Whether you are dealing with addiction yourself or dealing with a loved one who has made a shambles of life and maybe your life as well through addiction, there still is hope. We can help people recover. And I'm very proud to be working both on the clinical side, hands-on, helping people find their way through to a better place, and also on the research side, finding the ultimate solutions that will help people in our society and around the world. I, I do want to add, if any of your listeners would like to find out more about psychological counseling services in Scottsdale, Arizona, our website is www pcs earl that would be one word pcs e a r l e named after dr earl who was our founder dot com and i'll give the foundation uh, address again for people who are interested to learn more or to donate to the foundation it is www.addictionresearch.com well, absolutely, and if I can just share with our listening audience, you know, the last person that I referred to PCS um, is now in the midst. He's finished his third module as a CSAT, and um, he is probably one of the most dedicated and healthy individuals that I know. I'm so excited to be working with him in the Indiana area, and his time, both the gentle path and PCS, helped him to be the person that he had been trying to be for over 20 years. So it's those intensive experiences that can catapult somebody who just doesn't seem to be getting enough traction in therapy or through self-help itself. So, you know, truly... I get to see people go full circle when they get the right kind of help. And, Rick, I thank you so much for being part of the solution. Well, thank you, Carol, and thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. And thank you for sharing that story. It's so nice to hear about what happens after and what a success story your colleague has. That's really, really lovely to hear. Well, and i got to say, there's not a treatment center in the country who – called me before he showed up, he and his wife, called me during and called me after to really coordinate services to maximize the work that they were doing so that I could follow up. So you share that with PCS and uh, give them a big round of applause for me. <laughs> I sure will. Thank you, Carol. Thank you again. Okay, Rick. You take care, and I look forward to seeing you at the next ITAP um, conference. Sure will. Have a good night. Okay. Thank you.
You too. Okay, that was Rick Eisenberg, and as you well know, he works for PCS, and he also is um, working diligently with the American Foundation for Addiction Research. And so he's got his hands full, making a difference in the lives of many. And, you know, I can't speak highly enough for the people that work diligently to actualize the potential of all you people. I mean, I'm telling you, I know you're sick of hearing this, but when you get healthy, you become the epitome of the people that make changes in this world. They're huge. So don't give up. Know that you can you can make great changes if you keep working on yourself one step at a time. I will see you next week, as usual, same place, same time, on Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And please, 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 right now, before you forget, go to Amazon.com and get the ebook Sexual Addiction, Wisdom from the Masters, compiled by me, Carol the Coach, or go to my website, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and uh, either hit the uh, ebook, or I will mail I will mail you a copy and autograph it specifically to you. And we'll see you next week. So as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times. I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And I will see you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. <laughs>